Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com I've got a special episode today. I'm going to talk about the man who designed more hunting firearms and probably more total firearms than any other human being who has ever lived. Hey, and welcome to the New Hunter's Guide, the podcast and YouTube channel, helping new hunters get started and helping active hunters learn new things. I'm your host, George Kanitas, and today I've got a special topic. We're going to talk about the guns of John Moses Browning. Now, if you don't know, John Moses Browning may be the single most prolific firearms creator of all time. He had personally filed about 120 patents, most of which turned into unique firearms, all kinds of designs, pioneered most of the modern rifles, shotguns, and pistols that we know and use today. Unbelievable guy. The things that he did, the things that his mind was capable of doing, just walking into a gun shop, with just blocks of metal and barrel blanks and steel and springs and just invent new firearm mechanisms and just somehow impose his will into metal and build things that no one else had ever even thought of before. Um, Just outstanding. And he revolutionized the hunting world. He was an avid hunter himself. In fact, that's one of the things that just drove him. The first firearm he ever made as a child was a very primitive muzzle-loading shotgun that he took out and used to shoot three pheasants in one shot. All right, this guy was all about hunting. He was all about firearms. He was all about doing things better, smarter, and more efficiently. Chances are you own and have shot or hunted with a gun that John Moses Browning designed. And I almost guarantee that every firearm that you own has been influenced by his design, if not based upon or copied by them. So let's jump into it right off the bat here. How did he get started? Well, he grew up as a kid and his dad was a gunsmith, among many other things. And he had a little shop. 
in the middle of Utah at the end of the railway, the end of the railroad. They were the end of the line terminal town that no one had ever heard of. And I even forgot about what it was to tell you right now. Should have wrote it down. And he grew up there um, going back and forth between poverty and almost poverty most of his life. His dad was actually a, a very good uh, worker. He was a good inventor. He was smart, but he was not very good with managing his money. So his family was always on the brink, on the border of poverty. They had lots of money coming in, but the money just went out faster. And so he grew up in this sort of financially stressed kind of situation, eventually bought his dad's gun shop, bought the equipment from him, and started producing his own guns. You know, he worked as a, as a kid and a teenager repairing guns and just, you know, stuff that would just come in broken, broken, broken. And he would see the same issues, the same problems, the things, same things breaking, the same bad designs. And at one point he was like, you know, I should just design something that actually works and is effective. And his dad said, yeah, I wish you would get on with it already so I could see it before I die. So he set out and he designed his first ever gun that he patented, which was essentially the first lever action breech loading single shot rifle. Up until that time, pretty much every rifle out there of this new, you know, confounded breech loading technology that wasn't a muzzle loader, you had to work a lever, work a slide, pull a doohickey and a thingamabob, and then it was like a five or six, seven step process to unload it and reload it. It was absolutely faster than muzzle loading, but it was several steps. You had to do them in order. You had to pull the cartridge out. You had to put the new one in. You had to repeat all the steps. Boom, boom, boom. And you had to lock and unlock and lever and all these things. And he looked at it and said, nah, this can be simpler. So he created a rifle where by just pushing the lever down, did all of these steps all at once. Okay, it unlocked the breech block. It lowered the block. It pulled the old cartridge out. It ejected it, ejected it from the, the rifle. All you then had to do was slide a new one in, lift the lever back, and then it would chamber it. It would raise the breech block. It would lock it. It would cock it. And it was ready to fire. And that sounds so simple and obvious to us, but at the time it was game changing. No one had ever thought about or found a way to create such a thing. You could go, I mean, just boom, boom, it has reloaded. You just had to put the, another cartridge in after the old one flung out. Um, that technology today is so common and considered primitive. But back then, doing it all in one motion with parts that he hand forged by himself in the 1800s in a little shop with a straw floor. It didn't even have a wood floor, all right? It's a dirt floor with straw on top and wood shavings and gunpowder and shot lying everywhere in the middle of nowhere without electricity. He invented this design and he had it patented. 
and he started making a few and he made a couple dozen and and launched his own little you know business and store and selling them and then not long later a guy walks into his shop who is the number one guy at a little company called Winchester and he walks up to John and starts a conversation with him he had gone from uh, the East Coast to Utah on a train for the sole purpose of buying the patent rights to this rifle one had made it to him and he made that journey now you think oh I just jump on a plane today and you know I can be in Utah from Massachusetts in you know three four hours something like that we're talking days of travel on a rickety train across no man's land um, no air conditioning all I mean just different universe and the number one guy at Winchester travels out there and he asks him how much for the patent rights and I gosh I didn't write down the number I think it was something like six thousand dollars or ten thousand dollars something like that is what John said and he wrote him a check and handed it to him and later on they would ask John you know why did you ask for that amount of money for the patent rights and he said that in the moment he could not think of any larger number all right you're talking about the dollars in the 1800s here okay that was huge sums of money today and to somebody who's lived pretty much their whole life borderline abject poverty it, it was like he was instantaneously a wealthy man could probably invest it put it in the bank and retired right there but he didn't he looked the guy in the eye he said hey I'm working on another design I should have it ready in a couple months would you be interested in that one I'll come bring it to you and the guy said sure do that come see me walked out the room now uh, at that time John had not worked on any other design he had half of an idea for another rifle all right half an idea didn't have <laughs> he hadn't built anything he was just shrewd and he knew he was he knew he, he was able to do it and so he took the opportunity to, to sell this guy another gun and so he started working on it and he designed and developed what essentially became the modern lever action rifle okay I don't, I don't know if it was at that moment but shortly after that he developed the first modern lever action rifle all right you pull the lever down it does all those steps ejects the cartridge you pull the level forward it pulls the cartridge out of the magazine loads it into the gun and he gets on a train him and his brother and they make the journey you think it takes like a week or something in those days across the country and they go back to see this guy at Winchester and on the way there you know he's not really sure he doesn't have a whole lot of confidence yet you know he, he's not sure if if this is really groundbreaking or if they've already got stuff like this by that point so they get there and uh, Winchester sent one of his uh, you know his his reps that he has the company to go out and wine and dine him for the night and then bring him in the next day so he goes out with this guy who's basically a firearms you know PR sales marketing guy and so near the end of the night John says hey come here I, I want to ask you a question he said you would know better than anybody I want to show you what I'm bringing into Winchester tomorrow you know 
do they have anything like this? You know, is is this already old hat? You know, I'm trying to figure out, you know, how to how they're gonna how this is gonna be received. So he unwraps this prototype rifle that he built from scratch by hand, patented, of course, shows it to the man. The man picks it up, works the action, looks at it, inspects it, hands it back to him, and he said, Sir, I think you already rightly know that you possess in your hand right now the single greatest rifle ever built. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. And so he takes it in and gets a boatload of money from Winchester for it. And he kicks off this partnership with Winchester. Where, you know, once or twice a year, every year, he's bringing new designs to Winchester. And Winchester just got in the habit of buying every single one. They bought every patent that John Moses Browning walked through the door with and paid the modern equivalent of millions for them. All right, and they didn't they didn't even make all of the guns. Didn't even build them. Didn't even produce them all. But they bought every pat every patent, paid top dollar for it, big money. And the reason was they said, "You know what? Even if we don't build them, we need to make sure that none of our competitors get these designs, and we need to make sure that he's not going and selling to anybody else." So they had an open door and eventually they began to joke at the at the Browning Company in Utah. You know, they made their semi-annual raids on the Winchester Treasury. And they would travel across the country to go to Winchester and, and sell them all these patents that they had gotten and uh, just come back with loads and loads of cash. And what was really interesting is that, you know, these rifles and, and, and things are being produced and being sold in mass quantities across the country, no one had ever heard the name John Moses Browning, right? It was just the Winchester this. It was the, the Winchester 86, the Winchester 92. And then John came out with what would be one of, if not the most iconic firearms ever built in the history of the world for hunting. In fact, 
the number one selling deer hunting rifle of all time, the Winchester Model 94, which he designed for the 3030 chambering. It was the first rifle ever built for a smokeless powder cartridge. Other rifles had been converted to smokeless powder, but he specifically designed this rifle from day one to use a smokeless powder cartridge. And it even took him a year to find a way, took Winchester a year to find a way to make a barrel strong enough uh, in order to chamber the 3030 smokeless. But uh, it, it was, it was game changing. Millions and millions and millions of these rifles have been. So I think the last one I looked at, it was like 7 million in the U.S. Winchester 94s. Uh, you know, the ones that you get today are still off of the same basic fundamental design that he came up with in 1894. My first deer hunting rifle was a Winchester 94. First rifle I ever shot a deer with was a Model 94. And of course, John Moses Browning name is nowhere on that rifle because Winchester bought the patents and why would they put his name on anything? So the guy then goes on and he designs shotguns as well. All right, not just rifles, but also shotguns. And he essentially invents the concept of the pump action shotgun and rifle, but he invents basically from... The, 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 just the ether of his brain, the concept of the modern pump action firearm. And, and the, his same design is the basis for basically every pump action firearm in the world today. Probably the two most famous, the Mossberg 500, the Winchester 870, uh, excuse me, Remington 870. Still, the, the, the basic designs draw from his mechanics and mechanisms. Yeah, there's slight differences and variations that have come into play over the last 120 years, but he invented the pump action shotgun. And he was an avid bird hunter, avid duck hunter. In fact, every year they, they took a massive duck hunting trip. You know, before the years of limits and conservation and anything, they would shoot hundreds and hundreds of ducks and geese just in this one place every year. And they would feed whole towns with the meat. Uh, but he was huge into it. I mean, just massive sportsman. And he designed essentially the modern pump action shotgun. Now, he didn't stop there. He also designed what would become the single greatest and highest selling semi-automatic shotgun of all time. Oh, oh, and don't forget, he invented the semi-automatic shotgun. He had a couple crude designs that, that were marketed, some even produced and sold before he finally hit on the, the moment of genius where he designed the Browning Auto 5. Semi-automatic, five-shot shotgun. And that same design was built for something like 100 years with almost no changes. Interesting, my first shotgun ever was a Browning Auto 5 Sweet 16, 16 gauge, that he designed and developed. And basically the exact same mechanism that he put together, that he invented. Now, curious is that 
he could not sell that design in the United States. He tried. He, he, he took it to Winchester, took it to Remington, took it to others, and to nobody would buy it. Well, well, excuse me. It's not that no one would buy the design. He did not just want the design bought because he, he knew that half of his patents that he sold were never produced. He wanted it bought and produced because he felt that this shotgun would revolutionize the shotgun world. And he wanted to change the world. He didn't just want money. He wanted it to the contract to guarantee that it would be built and mass produced. And at the time, uh, you know, Winchester had some other priorities. Remington had other priorities. The other companies, you know, they, they weren't trying to go in the direction of mass producing new shotguns. They had good shotgun models. They were selling just fine. They were trying to go in other directions. And John's here, a pioneer trying to change the world. Couldn't strike a deal. So he goes to Europe to a little company. Well, it wasn't little by this point called FNN. Now I need to stop there and back up just a little bit because years before that, John had invented a handgun. He invented this little pistol um, that became known as uh, just most places Brownings and the Browning, um, the baby Browning. And he invented this crude little, well, it wasn't crude at all, this tiny little pistol fired this tiny little bullet, but it was a semi-automatic pistol. In fact, if you look at pictures of this pistol, it looks very much like the semi-automatic pistols that you buy today. And nobody was interested in buying his design. They didn't want it. They said, you know, we've got plenty of revolvers. He, he took it to several places. Nobody wanted it. Revolvers were selling just fine. They felt that the cartridge was underpowered. Um, but it was tiny. It was little. You could put it in your pocket. It was easy. You had magazine capacity, interchangeable magazines, all you know, all of the, 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 the features and the benefits of a semi-auto, but nobody would buy it. So he took it to Europe. And I won't tell you the whole story, but he went to basically a dying company, which was FNN, pretty much on their last throws, about to collapse, about to lay off huge sums of, of employees, you know, basically at death's door. And he shows up with this design and strikes a deal with them and says, you produce this, I'll give you a deal on it. You can pay me based on number produced or whatever those terms were. And they looked at it and their eyes lit up. They had never seen anything like this, never heard of anything like this. It was like the answer from God. So they begin to produce this, this handgun. And it's, no sooner does John come out with another one. Slightly different. More refined. Little better. Different cartridge. More power. They produce that one too. And he comes up with another one that's even smaller. The itty bitty teeny baby browning. That, that you could, you know, you, you could put three or four of them in your pocket. Not even know they were in there. So they produce those one. The guns sold like hotcakes across Europe. People bought them in mass. They ushered in a firearms revolution. They were seen as stylish. They were seen as fashionable. People appreciated the intricacies and the sheer genius of them. They were so small. They were simple. They worked. 
uh, people went crazy with them. They had them engraved. They they had them overlaid with you know um, all sorts of fancy materials, diamonds and gold and you know elephant tusks and all sorts of stuff made them out of ivory and just all sorts of things that people did from from the the most common person to the wealthiest person in the country they were able to buy one at whatever level they were at and have it customized and and formed and and the company just sprang to life out of the ashes and became a dominating force and everyone in Europe knew the name of Browning. In fact, they just called the handguns Brownings. The exact make and model and what they were and the caliber didn't really matter that much. It was a Browning. If you had a Browning, you were somebody. If you had a Browning, that meant something. People bought them, never even shot them. Carried around in their pocket, never once even fired it. Just they were they were entranced by it. It was like jewelry. It was it was amazing. So you know he he basically becomes over time the patriarch of this company, and he becomes the man the the messiah for the company. Well, some years later he shows up, and he's got this Auto Five, and says, "I want you to make this." And and you know they just like basically bow down to him. They're like, "Of course." Yes, thank you. So they make it and the gun goes crazy. It goes crazy. It sells like hotcakes. It changes the world. Eventually, it makes it back to the United States. And something happens that had never happened before. And that's that Browning's name began to finally get out. Now, this was later in his life. This was years later. Um, you know, Most of his life, he lived in relative obscurity. But the Browning Auto 5 was a game changer. Uh, you know, every semi-automatic shotgun that we have today hails back to the genius that went into this gun. Now, this was an inertia-driven gun, we would say. It was a long recoil action. Browning actually began reproducing them um, what, less than 10 years ago. They changed the design some so that they could accommodate a wider variety of ammunition, um, you know, magnum loads and regular note loads without having to change anything in the gun. So they did, they did adjust the design a little bit recently, but for a hundred years, it was basically untouched. There was no reason to touch it. It was, it was essentially flawless. Now, of course, they, they came out with gas-operated semi-automatic shotguns and other rifles. So about that, so John's designing hunting guns, hunting guns, those self-defense pistols, um, you know, flourishing, thriving, doing amazing. World War One happens and just just blows right through the town that F and N is located in and basically wipes them out, wipes them out, closes the factory. People are just thrown and strewn about, killed, refugees just utterly earth-shattering. So, you know, John's back home in the U.S., and the U.S. government issues a call for guns. They, they need designs. They're looking for... They're not trying to join the war, but they're realizing, hey, we need to do some stuff. So, shortening a very long story, John Moses Browning goes to work, 
And uh, interestingly enough, he had already been working on uh, a fully automatic uh, rifle, fully automatic rifle. And he had already he, he had already done some things with it. He had taken it. He, he had shown it to the military. They didn't care. They were uninterested. He had shown it to some Navy officers. They were interested, but they couldn't find any money for it. So he just put it on the shelf. He just sat on the shelf for years in his gun shop. And he pulled it out and he's like, okay, well, let's revisit this. So he made some improvements, did some stuff with it, took it back. Again, long story short, military ends up adopting it. I do believe it was a 30 caliber, 30 caliber, fully automatic military rifle, tripod mounted. Uh, I don't remember the exact one. Then he develops a couple more machine guns and he's basically the only guy doing it and he's developing machine guns for the U.S. government. He goes in and uh, develops a handgun. RFP comes out for the government. He says, okay, I'll take my design and modify it. And uh, he comes up with what we know today as the Colt 1911. Semi-automatic 45 caliber pistol. John Moses Browning invents it, builds it from scratch. He takes it in for trials at, at the government uh, you know, process. The, the goal of the trials, shoot 5,000 rounds. Well, not only did his gun shoot 5,000 rounds, it shot 5,000 rounds without jamming, breaking, failure to fire, failure to eject. One problem, no one else could build a gun to match it. Nobody. He wins the contract. They begin to get produced by the millions. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. World War II comes around. Uh, most of his guns actually didn't make it into World War I. Only, only a small percentage did. They began to build them a little late, in mass a little late. Some made it to the field, um, but by and large, most of them didn't. But once World War II came around, all of a sudden, we've got these guns. So, John Moses Browning creates another gun. You've probably heard of it. The Browning Automatic Rifle, or the BAR, okay? Weighs 16 or so pounds, fully automatic, massive cartridge. I think it was, was it the 30-06? Something like that. Go into battle with these things. They would, every unit would have a guy or two or a few guys that had some of these, just carrying them in, able to lay down ridiculous amounts of firepower. And because the gun was a bit on the heavy side, 
you know, 16 pounds, it was able to handle the recoil really well. So anybody could shoot this gun, big guys, small guys, men, women, it was versatile. Anybody could use it. As long as you could lift a 16 inch gun or you had a, a bipod or something, you know, it was very effective. Well, he also then goes in to develop a new machine gun. And there are no cartridges that do the job. So he invents the M2 machine gun, the Browning M2. And to make it work, he also has to invent the 50 BMG round. So he invents the 50 caliber machine gun and the bullet for it and the round and the mechanism. And these machine guns go on to become the staple machine gun. They're used everywhere in World War II. They're used on land. They're mounted on vehicles. They're mounted on tanks. They're mounted um, on ships. They're mounted as anti-aircraft guns. They're mounted on airplanes. The U.S. begins mounting them across the board on many of their airplanes. Was it the P-51 Mustang? Has, uh, oh, what was it, four or six or eight? Something like that of these machine guns on it? Ridiculous amount of firepower, but why? Because they worked. They worked every time. They worked in every situation, in every circumstance. They did the job and they laid down ridiculous amounts of firepower. And they could be mass produced in huge quantities at low prices. They didn't need a lot of replacement parts. So they began using this gun for everything. They used it. Uh, you know, to defend against beach invasions. They used it to invade other beaches. It became a staple. So all across the Allied front in World War II, you have handguns, rifles, machine guns, guns on ships, tanks, airplanes, jeeps, bases, everywhere that are made, designed, and invented by John Moses Browning. Like I said, 120 patents. And half of those military arms, he gifted or half gifted, even, even if it was unintentionally to the U.S. government, to Uncle Sam. You know, for some of them, they promised, you know, we'll pay you this much. And then they came back and said, you know, will you take uh, 10% of that? And, you know, there were, he lost so much money. And he just said, you know what? If that's what Uncle Sam needs, then... That's fine with me. He had enough wealth and he's like, you know what? I don't need, I don't, this is not the time and this is not the way that I'm going to try to, to make a ton of money. So, you know, a lot of those guns and for all that were produced and, you know, he made pennies on what he should have made from those designs. Part of it's because of the war, part of it because he was just a really generous guy, but single-handedly, does more for the firearms world than probably any other one human being. He could just design stuff. Uh, every rifle that we have today has design features that are drawn from John Moses Browning patents, that are drawn from things that he invented. Every gun, you know, you look at the, uh, the M16 or the M4, 
They are all built from, designed from, stem from mechanisms, stem from principles, stem from ideas that John Moses Browning came up with. Now, of course, people have added to it. They have built upon it since then. You can't say that, you know, John Moses Browning invented the M4 assault rifle, but he, if you follow back the, the train of innovation, it goes back to his desk. All right. Just guns that no one had ever thought of. No one had ever had any use for, you know, he first invented the machine gun just sort of as a, uh, like, Hey, this is an interesting idea. I, he couldn't see any use for it. He was just intrigued, built it, put it on the shelf for a few years, came back, worked on it some more, showed it to the government. They were like, yeah, we don't have money for this right now. We're not interested. We don't even want to talk to you. And then eventually it becomes the guns of John Moses Browning that win World War II. I mean, it's, it's not an overstatement. The, the guy is utterly legendary. Uh, he invented so many actions and mechanisms and parts of hunting guns. I mean, pretty much every hunting gun out there today it was, was touched in part by John Moses Browning. I mean, you, you, gotta, you gotta go back to where all of this technology was before he came into the picture, all right? You know, we look at a bolt-action rifle. A bolt-action rifle, it, it, it uses so many principles that came from John Moses Browning. You know, his single-shot breech-loading rifle that changed the world, and then the lever action, and then the pump action, and then the bolt action, all of it flowed from his desk. You know, there were other people that made stuff. There were other people that came up with designs. There were a lot of other people that invented firearms. But no one person did as much, invented as much, or arguably was as brilliant as John Moses Browning was. His guns changed the, the face of the world, period. Self-defense, hunting, military. He revolutionized the planet. So you might say, George, what does that have to do with me? What does that have to do with hunting? So John Moses Browning was an American. He was a patriot. He was someone that was an avid sportsman, an avid conservationist, um, even before the term existed, even before conservationism was a movement. He believed in it. He was a practicer of it. You might say, well, if you hear about some of his hunting stories, you know, you might say, well, he shot a lot of animals. Yeah, but he also didn't shoot a lot of animals. He spared a lot of animals. He worked to make sure that those animals had habitat, that there were regulations, that there were things, that, that, that there were ethics behind hunting and not just mass shooting. He, his sustainability was something that he was behind, that he grasped, that he understood, that he, he worked to advance, um, you know, because he realized even, even in his own hunting, even what he was seeing in wild game populations, how, you know, bad hunting and bad ethics and bad management played a part in it. And he was on the leading edge of people with this new idea, this new framework of sustainability, conservation, game management, ethical hunting practices. He was on the leading edge of that. 
And this was a guy that loved hunting. If it wasn't for hunting, he probably would have never designed a gun. Probably would have never worked in the industry. It probably wouldn't have been much of an industry um, other than, you know, self-defense. But he was a hunter and he thought first, okay, what matters in the field? You know, what do I do? Not, not, all, not all firearms designers were hunters. In fact, there were not a whole lot of firearms designers when he got started either. But he was all about, okay, I go hunting. I do this. This happens. What can, I, what can be done to make this better? So he'd go out hunting. He'd go back into the shop. He'd work on the design. He'd take it out and go hunting. He'd come back in the shop. He'd work on the design. He'd take it out and go hunting. He'd bring it back in the shop. He'd work on the design until he got the, the reliability, the mechanics, the, the loads, the bullets, the accuracy, the just the, 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 the feel of it, the what's the word I'm looking for, the shootability, the comfort, the, the ergonomics until he got it just right. Attention to detail attention to what mattered and then took those things to the world um you know you you can't overstate the things that he did and his guns did and the famous people that used them and how they revolutionized all this stuff but he was a hunter he was a hunter first he was a sportsman first and he designed all these things that we we you know we we use we take it for granted we don't even know where it came from We've got no idea, you know, when we walk into the woods, you know, who came up with this design? Who came up with this idea? Now, there's lots of good companies out there today. There really are. Um, and they have done innovative things to make firearms better and more modern and all that stuff. But the whole idea, you know, you go out with a pump action shotgun. Well, he invented that. You go out with a lever action rifle. He invented that. You go out with any repeating rifle that was John Moses Browning's brainchild he poured his life into making that happen you go out with any semi-automatic shotgun that's John Moses Browning he came up with the idea he came up with the concept he, he, he pioneered it pushed it forward when no one wanted it he said this will change the world and I won't sell it to someone unless they'll take it to the world and he pushed and pressed until it got out there because he wanted to see what it would do. When it came to, you know, having a country so that we can go hunting in it, he put together the guns to defend that country. You know, it's just a great story. Every time I lift a Browning shotgun or a Browning rifle or something that is, you know, directly based off a of Browning design, to me, it has just a little bit more, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Nostalgia, just a little more meaning, just a little bit more value. There's, there's, there's this hint of excellence, of patriotism, of just the mechanical elegance of it. It means more. You know, these are the tools that we use for hunting. Guns are tools. That's really what they are. They're a tool that we use to pursue game. Sometimes we use bows and arrows. They're tools. It's what we use, what we take afield. But, you know, the tools 
have some they have some they they have more value than just the sum of their parts right they they just they mean something to hunters and sometimes they mean too much but the tools mean something we spend time with these tools we put confidence in these tools we use these tools and expect them to function perfectly at, at the most opportune moments. We, we, we are thankful for the, how well they work, how consistent and reliable and effective they work. They're the tools of our trade. And we owe so much of that to this guy. And I just found his life and his work so fascinating. I've been studying about him for some time. I read a book about him. I've just been, you know, just pouring through information and I was like, this is so interesting. I hope that this is something that, you know, you've appreciated and, and you've enjoyed and you've thought was cool. You know, if you're still listening at this point, I would imagine you do, or you're just looking for more ammo for hate mail. Um, but chances are, if you're still at this point in the show, you're interested in this guy. You think it's pretty cool. I would love to hear your feedback. Head to the website, newhuntersguide.com. Send me an email through the website or social media or YouTube. I read every single thing that comes in. I really appreciate you guys. God bless you. Until next time, go get them in the woods. life that has the stories to back it a life to be proud of it's a winchester life yeah baby six eight western i'll be over there baby right there tune in every tuesday at 7 p.m eastern on waypoint tv brave anglers search for the one they call king but who will take his throne tune in to waypoint tv's battle for silver saturday may 18th from 12 to 6 p.m eastern presented by abyss battery waypoint tv